In last week's episode, I started this conversation around being analog curious, which to me means being curious about integrating more analog activities into my very digitized life. Like many of you listening, I feel like I spend more time than I should on my phone. But what I've been hoping to understand better is the way that not only the time spent on the screen impacts my life, but the time spent thinking about being on the screens impacts my life. Am I distracted from the real world around me when I'm scrolling on my smartphone, replying to emails, reading news articles? Yes. But am I also distracted from the world around me when I'm thinking about doing those things? You know, when I'm sitting with my kids at the dinner table thinking, hmm, I wonder if I got a new email. I wonder if there's a new news headline. I really need to research the best type of luggage. So for me, being analog curious means I'm reflecting not only on the impact of the time spent with the smartphone in my hands, but also on the impact of the distractions that are created by having the smartphone on my brain. How does it impact my presence? How does it impact my engagement? How does it impact my anxiety and restlessness? Today, I'm sharing some of my own stories with you. You may relate to some, you may not. This is not meant to be prescriptive. This is meant to encourage you to reflect, to see if there are ways in which you may benefit from integrating more analog activities into your life. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. I should have entitled this episode, Things Danae is Wondering About and Thinking About, because in many ways, that's what it feels like. I am sharing some things that have been on my mind, some changes we've been making in our family, and some reflections. We're talking not just about kids' screen time, but parents' screen time, too. What if the way we use our screens has an impact on our engagement in our relationships with our kids and how we enjoy the time that we spend with our kids? As with most things, I don't think that all screen time is created equal. In fact, I think about the experience of going to see a movie at the movie theater and how that makes me feel. Now, if I go see a movie, which I haven't done in a long time, thanks to the pandemic, I don't think that I've ever actually walked out of a movie theater thinking, oh gosh, I wish I could see another movie. Usually I walk out of a movie theater feeling satiated. I got my fill. If it's a good movie, it makes me think. I'm thinking about it and talking about it with whoever saw it with me for maybe 15 minutes, a half an hour. And then I move on to other things in my life. The thing about movies is they come to an end. If they're good, they have a high-quality storyline, well-developed characters, humor. They provoke some deeper thought, and maybe you even learn a thing or two. We all have an appetite for different types of screen use. My husband loves long-form content. 
he's almost always watching some movie or documentary or Netflix series with really long episodes or even foreign language films with subtitles. He has an appetite for longer form content, shorter form too. Don't get me wrong. He reads plenty of news. Also spend some time on social media and whatnot, like many of the rest of us. I, on the other hand, don't have much of an appetite for longer form movies, documentaries, extensive series. In fact, I find that I crave shorter form interactive content. I like engaging with other people, talking back and forth, community building, researching things online, most things that don't have an end in sight and different things that we do on screens feels different for all of us. I know that I feel satiated after I see a two hour movie in the theater. I don't find myself wanting more, but if I'm laying in bed, scrolling Instagram for two hours, I don't feel satiated. It's almost like watching a movie is like eating a well-balanced meal. I fill up on it and I'm done. And scrolling Instagram to me feels like I'm popping open a bag of mini marshmallows. I'm filling up, but I'm not feeling nourished. For anyone else out there that notices that sensation coming up for them with screen time, this inability to feel satiated, then this conversation may resonate with you. In fact, in my reflections the past several weeks as I've been dabbling in being completely screen-free for periods of time, I have noticed my restlessness and my anxiety decrease. I don't think I gave much consideration to the fact that many of the things I do when my phone is in my hands provokes anxiety. I read arguments between people on Facebook, people disagreeing, people getting angry with each other, trolling each other. I read sensationalist news headlines. I read about one tragedy after another. I also read fear-mongering clickbait articles, all of which do evoke anxiety within me. And I also think about online shopping. You know, I recently needed a new carry-on suitcase because mine ripped open. And I didn't just want any carry-on suitcase. I wanted the best carry-on suitcase. I wanted to get the most bang for my buck. So I went real deep. Like I read all the Reddit articles on the best new luggage companies. I watched the YouTube videos. I went down to page seven, eight, nine in the Google results, looking for the differences between the away bag and the July bag and the mono bag and the color options and the built-in phone charger capabilities. I put a lot of mental energy, a lot of time, a lot of work into that process. And I think about what the analog alternative would have been, which would have been to go to the store and just pick out a suitcase from what they had available. And it makes me think about the cost of going down these rabbit holes, for me at least. I try to tell myself that I'm trying to get the most value for my money, but there is a cost. If I had gone to the store and picked out a suitcase from what was available, would I have ended up with a marginally lower quality suitcase, perhaps. I would have gotten my time back. I would have gotten my energy back. The multiple hours that I spent on that research, I could have reallocated to something else more valuable in life, something that really mattered. Because in the end, the differences between the luggage were negligible at best. 
Much like this luggage story, I have been trying to tune in and notice the ways in which technology has infiltrated my life in a way that feels almost natural and necessary. Because I found myself asking, why wouldn't I research to get the best suitcase? It feels like second nature, like a reflex to reach for my phone every few minutes to check to see if I got a new email, see if I have any Instagram direct messages, to see if anyone texted me. And the frequency with which this reaching happens absolutely takes me away from being present and engaged in my real life. This is a shame-free zone. I'm just one human trying to do my best. This may resonate with you. It may not. One thing is for sure, this journey is going to look a lot different for you and your family. I've worked so hard over the years to regulate my kids' screen use. And that's not easy, especially because I have a screen seeker, a kid who doesn't seem to satiate, a kid who would choose screens over pretty much all else except a play date with a friend. If you have a kid like that, then this conversation is probably going to resonate with you more. And as I've been doing some reflecting, I think that I'm more like that than I realized. I think that my increased tech use has left me feeling very restless. When I don't have my phone in my hand, I am restless because I'm worried about what I'm missing out on. FOMO, the fear of missing out, the need to respond immediately. So what have I tried? I have absolutely tried the built-in screen time limitations on my phone where I can set a limit for how long I'm engaging in any certain app. And then I get an alert that says, okay, you've met your limit. You've had your hour or whatever it is. Do you want to extend for another five minutes or 15 minutes? Yep. Bypass that. Bypass that. That did not work for me in any way, shape or form. I have tried many different ways to moderate my kids' screen use. The most successful way was when we had full-time childcare and there was another human to help with the kids. This was before the kids were school age and I was working full-time from home. We set a rule that screen time was after lunch and after lunch, the kids had 45 minutes or an hour. I don't even remember what it was. And that really helped having it scheduled and sticking to that schedule. The screen seeking, the asking for the screens all the time definitely decreased. But what didn't decrease was the restlessness. And I'll talk more about that. So I'll say hands down that when we had full-time childcare, that was the easiest time for us with screens. Because it wasn't just me trying to work and parent and do all the things simultaneously. When I do try to do all the things simultaneously, I lean heavier on screens. I end up using screens as a babysitter. And anyone that was without childcare in the pandemic probably knows that well. Some of that increased screen use from my kids has arisen because I'm trying to multitask. I'm trying to be a parent and a business owner at the same time. And sometimes I just need absolute peace to do that. And putting my kids in front of screens is really the only guaranteed solution. And it's not even always guaranteed. Now that my kids are in school full-time, during the week, screen use feels pretty regulated because there's not that much time at the end of the day. So it's not much of a challenge. But the weekends are hard, especially pandemic winter weekends, which we're just coming off of. 
where my kids would wake up at 6 a.m., the same time they wake up during the week, and start watching TV. And I would make them breakfast and get up and start my day and sit on the couch with them on my phone for an hour or two. And before we knew it, it was 10 o'clock. And we've all been indulging in four-ish hours of screen time. And we all feel dysregulated. This routine became the norm this winter. We had a lot of ice this winter, a lot of weekends where we physically couldn't go anywhere. So that's where we started this spring in this analog curious conversation was our weekends were rough. My kids were in this routine of getting up at the break of dawn, before the break of dawn, watching TV and getting sucked into hours and hours. And it was 10 o'clock and we've already had four-ish hours of screen time, all of us, and we've got the whole day ahead of us. And even though often screen time doesn't leave us feeling good, or at least not feeling our best, we still want more of it. It's still easy pleasure, easy stimulation. James Williams, a tech ethicist and the author of Stand Out of Our Light, Freedom and Resistance in the Attention Economy, said this, it's like we've made kids live in a candy store, and then we tell them to ignore all that candy and eat a plate of vegetables. We have an endless flow of immediate pleasures that's unprecedented in human history. I couldn't agree with that comment more, except for the fact that it's not just kids. We are all living in a candy store. We all have this endless flow of immediate pleasures at our fingertips. And for some kids, not all kids, but putting them in a playroom with a TV and asking them to play with their toys is kind of like putting them in a candy store, asking them to eat vegetables. So whenever I'm trying to make a change or trying to make a change for my family, I try to think of the long-term big picture goals. I am not trying to remove screen time altogether for anyone in my house. I know that technology and screens are very much going to be a part of our lives. But what I do want to do is I want to be able to make some choices And I want my kids to be empowered to make some choices because I do feel like so many of the changes in recent years that have led to compulsive use are changes that have kind of snuck up on us, things that have just happened to us beyond our awareness. And I don't want that. I want to be making choices. I want to be able to control my phone instead of it controlling me. This has really been a reflective process for me. And one question that I asked myself going into it is what are the analog things that I want to make space for that I can't seem to make space for? And I came up with a short list of three. There are plenty more, but I'm going to start with three. They are read more books, learn to play an instrument, and have more conversations looking my husband in the eye. Now, of course, I have to acknowledge that screen time isn't the only thing that gets in the way of us doing the things that we want to do. There's work, there's family life, plenty of other obstacles. But for me, I do suspect that if I can get a hold on my screen use, reduce it, reduce some of the thinking about wanting to use the screens, that I can free up a lot of time and energy to do the things that I want to do. So that's what this journey is about for me. That's for me. What do I want for my whole family? So I want to build awareness. I want more intentional use for all of us. I want to carve out space for tech-free time and do things that we really enjoy during that time. And I want to make a quick clarification there. I don't want to just do the analog things to check the box and say that we did it. 
I don't want to just go on a family hike and say, okay, we did it. And then we all rush back to our screens. I want to actually be present and engaged and enjoy the hike. And that's hard to do when your mind is somewhere else on something else. Now, how many of you have a kid that won't play with toys? I hear this all the time. I think there are primarily two types of kids that won't play with toys. There are the kids like my daughter who chooses to play with tape and string and makes toys out of sticks. Doesn't play with her regular toys as much because she kind of innovates new toys with whatever she can find. And then there are kids like my son who won't play with toys because all they can think about is screen time. And the latter example is that restlessness. For a kid like that, even when we moderate screen use, the restlessness remains. The thinking about it, the wishing for it, the wanting it, the feeling incomplete without it. And that restlessness that I was feeling as well going into this was what I really wanted to get to the bottom of. We talk a lot on the podcast about how boredom leads to creativity for kids. And how boredom is a good thing. But what we don't talk about is how boredom is really hard for grown-ups too. When was the last time you sat in a doctor's office waiting for an appointment without a phone in your hand, without doing anything, just simply being bored? Or stood in a long line at Target, waiting to check out, just soaking in the boredom, using that time and space to think. Okay, maybe some of you listening do do that. But I will venture to say a lot of you don't. A lot of you pull out your phone and you start scrolling. Boredom is hard for all of us. And I think that I have forgotten how to be bored. I have forgotten how to tolerate boredom. When I was a kid, I used to be more like my daughter where I would get bored and I would get creative. But now I get bored and I reach for my phone. So it feels hard to ask our kids to sit with that boredom when we're not doing it especially when we have kids that really struggle with that boredom. There's an expression, bored to tears, which I've heard my whole life, but I never gave it much thought until I saw my son. I'll tell you that bored to tears is a real thing. I've seen him get bored to the point where it feels physically painful. Some kids get bored and creative and some kids get bored and miserable. And when you have someone in your house that is bored and miserable, that misery can be contagious. If you have a kid like that, that gets bored and miserable, and you feel that misery secondhand, you're going to be much more likely to try to fill that boredom, to fill that space. I know that personally. It's very hard to watch. So that boredom, that type of boredom that I'm talking about, if anyone in your house suffers from it, then you know it well, and how it feels to be around people that feel like that. And how it feels to parent a kid like that. Her natural tendency is that we want our kids to be happy. And we want to help them be happy. And what if the only happy we can find for our kids is screen time? What then? That's something that I've wrestled with now for years. I'm going to tell you in a few minutes about our first completely screen-free weekends. But a quick spoiler alert. Going completely screen-free for extended periods of time has taken this kid from bored and miserable to bored and creative, something that I never thought was possible. 
We're going to pause for a three minute break from today's sponsors. The first sponsor for today is Faherty. I will admit that I was pretty excited when I found out that Faherty wanted to sponsor the podcast because they make the most comfortable clothes of all time. They are a family-run brand that makes high-quality, timeless clothes that are, like I said, super cozy. They're so confident in the quality of their stuff that they have a lifetime guarantee that they'll either replace or fix your clothes forever, no matter what. And they're giving you a 20% off discount. Head to fairtybrand.com slash simple and use the code simple at checkout to snag 20% off. Again, that code is simple. You'll go to fairty, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y brand.com slash simple for 20% off. Fairtybrand.com slash simple. Our second sponsor for today is Fabric. If you're a parent, which if you're listening to this, most of you probably are, you know that kids are amazing and they're expensive. But with Fabric, protecting your family with term life insurance is surprisingly affordable. Fabric is built especially for parents to help you manage your family's financial future. It takes less than 10 minutes to apply. No health exam required, and it's fully backed by Vantas Life, one of the most trusted names in life insurance since 1847. Protect your family with term life insurance now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com slash simple. That's meetfabric.com slash simple to start protecting your family today. Meet, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash simple. Fabric insurance agency policies are issued by Vantus Life. They're not available in New York and Montana, and prices are subject to underwriting and health questions. Our third sponsor for today is PrepDish. You all know that PrepDish is a long favorite in our house. It has taken a lot of the mental load out of cooking. Reliably, I know that each week the PDF is going to show up in my inbox, and I know exactly what I'm going to be cooking for the following week. I always choose the super fast meal. That's just how I roll. It comes with five meals. I don't always do all five. Sometimes I just choose to do three. Depends on what our schedule looks like for the week. But if that's the case, it's really easy to mark off the ingredients and the steps. So it's not all or nothing. One of my favorite things about Prep Dish is that it splits up the meal planning into three steps. Number one, you order the groceries. Number two, you set aside a little time to prep the meals. And number three, you actually get the meals on the table. Since I'm usually flying solo in the evenings, I'm doing the meals myself. Being able to do the prep in advance during a time when my partner's available to help me is a game changer. If you want to give it a try, go to preptish.com forward slash families. Again, that's preptish.com forward slash families for two weeks free. Thanks so much for supporting our sponsors. Back to today's episode. I talked last week about how in many ways this analog curious journey has been like my sober curious journey in giving up alcohol. I'm going to draw another alcohol parallel here, which I really hope doesn't offend or hurt anyone that is an alcoholic or is struggling with alcohol. But I'm making this comparison and metaphor because this is how it feels. Trying to curb my screen use when my phone is within reach is what I suspect it's like to be an alcoholic and have a beer in the fridge. You're always thinking, oh, there's that beer in the fridge. There's that one beer. Should I have it? 
I'm not going to have it. It's torturing me just sitting in there looking at me. I just want to have it, but I know I shouldn't have it. I know it's not going to make me feel good. I know this is not what I need. So I obviously have identified that I am a huge source of this problem. I didn't cause this problem, but I have the problem. And I need to figure out how to address the problem within myself first before I can help to support my kids with it. Well, I started locking my phone up every day with a kitchen safe. It's called a K-safe. It has a little timer on it. It's a little box you put in and you set your phone inside. So every day when I got home from work, before my kids got off the bus, I would put my phone into the K-safe. And it would stay there until my kids left for school the next day. Locking my phone up for the first time was definitely anxiety provoking for me. I do have an Apple Watch, which allows me, in the case of emergency, to make phone calls and call 911, that sort of thing. So I wasn't completely disconnected, but for all intents and purposes, I was very limited. Once I got past the first day and the fear of locking it up, things changed for me. That restlessness, that FOMO started to disappear, and it was faster than I realized. That reflex to pick up my phone every 30 seconds or every minute, it disappeared when my phone was out of use. Now, occasionally I did find myself looking for my phone, and then I remembered that I locked it up, but overall, I instantly felt a sense of peace. So after spending some time doing this, and my husband doing this as well, we both did. The adults started the experience first. Then we introduced our first screen-free weekend for our kids. And I was really excited to see how they would be impacted by completely taking the screens off the table. It's one thing to moderate and for it to be coming from the parents and saying like, oh, you're only allowed to have one hour of screen time and now you're done. No more for the rest of the day. It's coming from you. It's another thing to lock up the remotes and lock up the iPads and lock up the phones and say, all right, I guess we're going to have to just figure it out. We're going to have to figure today out and see what comes of it. And that's what we did. Now, they weren't caught off guard by it. I was talking about my process as I was moving through it why I was putting my phone out of reach, why I was cutting back, how I was focused on being more present and more engaged, not just with them, but in many areas of my life. So when we finally decided to dive into our first screen-free weekend, we talked about it that week, we geared up, and we started on a Friday. They have a half day at school on Fridays, so I picked them up. And reminded them when I picked them up, remember, we're going to have a screen-free weekend, so we're not going to have any screens until Monday after you go back to school. And there was some resistance, some sadness initially. Friday was hard, but Saturday morning when they woke up, I anticipated it was going to be impossible because they were in this routine of getting up and watching several hours of TV on the weekends. And it was hard at first. Um, then they dug into the game closet, which they haven't been visiting nearly as much in the past year, especially over the course of the winter. And we started playing through all the games. One of the first games that they reached for was Hungry Hungry Hippos, which is my least favorite game on the planet, I would say. It's just so mindless. You know, you're just like slapping at this plastic handle, trying to catch balls. There's no end. There's no real strategy. It's just... Ah, It is what it is. I've never, well, I can't say I've never enjoyed Hungry Hungry Hippos. I did enjoy it as a kid, but I do not enjoy it as an adult. But this kind of crazy thing happened, which was, I didn't mind it. 
I didn't have anything else to do. I didn't have any other easy pleasure to escape to. I didn't have the FOMO. I didn't have the restlessness. So I could really be there and be present and play Hungry Hungry Hippos. And it wasn't that bad. In fact, I even kind of enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the morning of mindless games with my kids. Because once I removed that easy pleasure, it didn't feel so painful. I could lean into the things that previously maybe were not my first choice of things that I wanted to do. So this particular day happened to be an ice day. We had a ton of ice storms over the winter, so we couldn't go anywhere. It was a long day, but it was a good day. I really felt like we were taking the beer out of the fridge, removing the temptation, removing the yearning for, for just a short time. And I saw results. When the restlessness disappeared, which it did pretty quickly, I would say within the first 24 hours, I noticed a sense of calm, a very different energy in our house. And I noticed increased engagement between the humans, all four of the humans. I was more patient. I saw my husband play games and do things with my kids that I haven't seen him do in a very long time. I saw my kids sitting and cuddling together on the sofa, looking at their Pokemon cards. And my son, who is hard to engage at home, not hard to engage at school, but hard to engage at home, I think related to the constant yearning for the screens. Well, he actually came into the kitchen and he cooked with me, something he hasn't done in years. He chopped vegetables with me. We made smoothies. It was a sense of peace and calm that I haven't felt in a very long time. The following day, we were able to get out of the house. And in the morning, we went to Starbucks and we got breakfast sandwiches and drinks. And we sat at the table and lingered. Now, this may seem like a small thing for you, but if you have a kid who struggles with boredom, then this is no small thing. You know that. We lingered and enjoyed each other's company for a while. And then we went to Staples and just kind of browsed the office supplies and we lingered. I realized that being in a very digital home, we don't really have office supplies. We do everything online, you know, our banking, our bill pay. We have very little use for envelopes and stamps occasionally, but You know, just in general, we don't have as many office supplies. And my daughter especially was just enchanted with the office supplies and wanted every notebook, every type of tape, every pencil. So we did get some new colored pencils because the following day on Monday, we were leaving on a five-hour flight to go visit my brother and his family. So the kids got some colored pencils and a coloring book to take on the plane with them. I should note that... My son has never enjoyed coloring. He'll do it if he has to at school, that sort of thing. But it's never been something he's like, ooh, yeah, let's color. That sounds fun. No, no, just has never happened. But that day when we bought those colored pencils and coloring books, his face lit up. And he said, I wrote this down because I wanted to quote it because I was so shocked at the words. He said, this is going to be the best flight ever. When I get bored, I can draw and color mic drop. (laughs) Again, I think for some kids, maybe that isn't abnormal, but for this kid, never heard anything like that come out of his mouth before. 
And a few hours later, when he got out of the shower for that evening, he said the same thing again. He was still thinking about the new colored pencils and how excited he was to draw and color. This in and of itself was a profound shift. Within 48 hours, he went from constant screen seeking to coloring book seeking. An excitement around something slow, something analog. I'm not a fool. I knew the next day when we got on the plane and we were surrounded by screens everywhere that that excitement around coloring was going to disappear. And it did. We got on a five-hour flight and there was five hours of screen time. I had anticipated that. I also knew that we were going to be spending a week at my brother's house and my brother's kids are teenagers and they have an Oculus and an Xbox and a Nintendo Switch and iPads, the works. So I knew that it was going to be a week of screen time. And that was okay. That was just something that I was anticipating. What I didn't realize was that the quantity of screen time and the quantity of screen options really impaired his ability to do anything else. My daughter was able to walk away and swim in the pool and play with her cousins. He couldn't. All he could think about was the screens. And when the other kids got bored of the screens and wanted to walk away, they did. And then they went and swam and did other things. But he couldn't. That's all he could think about. He did get in the pool a couple times, but I could see him one day sitting on the side of the pool with the mental gymnastics going on in his head, just sitting there quietly. But I know that mental gymnastics so well that I knew what was going on in there. He was thinking about getting out of the pool. He was thinking about how much more fun and interesting the Oculus is compared to swimming in the pool. And then he made the choice to get up and get out of the pool and go in the house. After we left my brother's house, we had a three-day stay at a hotel. We were privileged to be able to stay at a beautiful hotel that had a lazy river and bike rentals, a kid's club for activities, lots of fun analog options. But I knew coming off a week of heavy screen use that it may be hard to engage my kids in some of those analog activities. So we decided to have our second screen-free weekend, this time a long weekend, three days. What we did was use the hotel safe to put the remotes, the iPads, the phones, etc. My husband was working, so he had his laptop out during that time. Now pause. I know there are people listening who are thinking this would never work for my lifestyle. This would never work for my teenagers. And you're probably right. What works for my family is not going to work for yours. But don't give up on the fact that you can find a solution that works for you. So our plan for the three days was we were going to go to the pool, the lazy river, do the activities, rent the bikes, play the games. They got up at 6 a.m. and normally they would want to watch TV and we kind of lounge around for a few hours. But they got up at 6 a.m. We went down into the lobby and found stuff to do. We did a hotel scavenger hunt. We went in the lazy river. We rented the bikes. It was a lot of work on my part. I'm not going to lie. I definitely could have used a break. I could have used a few hours sitting around on my screen, which let's be honest, really wasn't going to make me feel good. It wasn't really going to make me feel rested, but it would get me off my feet. That's for sure. But after the third day, at the end of the third day, the last day we were at the hotel, my son walked up to my husband who was finishing his work day and said, hey, Papa, let's go play pickleball. And that was another one of those jaw-dropping moments, kind of like the coloring book. 
He's asking to play pickleball. He's asking to color. He's asking to do other things other than just watch shows or play Roblox. When I remove the other options, the analog stuff does look more fun and it is more fun. And we can engage in those things together. So we went and we played pickleball together and it was beautiful. Nobody was checking their phones. No one was begging to go home to veg out on their iPads or on the TV. We were just present together in a way that has been harder to access in recent years. I mean, we've been present together, physically present together a lot over the past two years, but it's been harder to emotionally be present and connected with one another due to the increase in screen use. And the end of the story is not that we have just decided to eliminate screens forever and go live on the side of a mountain and be together. No, definitely not. (laughs) It's going to be a back and forth, but it's going to be us making space, carving out space to find the enjoyment in these things. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult the more compulsive our tech becomes. I think about hobbies. How many people have said to me, you know, I used to play the piano. I used to sew. I used to quilt. I used to write. I used to read books. Now it's hard to get through a book, especially if your phone is near. And we can blame the loss of hobbies on the fact that we had kids and we're busier, sure. But I also think that the loss of hobbies is absolutely impacted by our tech use. In fact, we are getting started on renovating our basement and we're finishing out. It's half finished now. We're going to finish out the other area. And my husband mentioned the idea of putting a pool table in. I am advocating for an air hockey table, but he is advocating for the pool table because he said that it's something you can do with one person, two people, three people, four people. He's like, you know, I could even go and play by myself downstairs. I kind of looked at him hesitantly saying, are you really going to go downstairs and play pool by yourself? Like really? (laughs) Because you know, that's, that's a hobby. I just feel like we haven't done stuff like that in a long time because our phones and our tech occupy so much of our free time. Don't get me wrong. A lot of that is work for sure, but still our phones have replaced hobby time and recreation time. Now, If I locked my husband's phone up in the K-safe, he would definitely play pool. But if I didn't, he wouldn't play pool. (laughs) I actually proposed that. And he's like, yeah, that's probably true. But that's true for me too, not just for him. There's a lot of research being done right now. And the results aren't in yet. We don't know definitively the impact of tech, especially this tech that is designed for compulsive use. We don't know. But one of the researchers, Bonnie Nagel, says she predicts that they're going to find out that when brains repeatedly process rapid, rewarding content, like TikTok, their ability to process less rapid, less rewarding things may change or be harmed. That means that there's a possibility that this intake of rapid, highly rewarding content that is entirely tailored to our interests may result in us enjoying the simple stuff even less. Playing pool, swimming in the pool, reading books, playing Hungry Hungry Hippos. You get the point. 
So if our brains are going to be less enticed by the analog stuff, how can we start right now carving out more space for it so that we can find that enjoyment in it? And as Johan Hari said, we have to be on the offense and the defense. Not only do we have to carve out space for it, but we might need to do extreme things like locking up our phones or using apps like Freedom to shut them down because it's hard to walk away. As I've said so many times, this journey is going to look very, very different for every single person, every single family. So I'm going to give you some ideas of things that other people have tried that have worked for them and some things that have worked for us. So even if you are not cutting out screen time, which I'm not entirely cutting out screen time by any means. We're doing screen-free weekends, but my kids still watch TV after school. And that hasn't been problematic. That has been easy for us to manage. So that's the balance that we're finding right now. We're doing some screens after school and then screen-free weekends. But I definitely want to shift to and stay with slower content for as long as we can. Longer form content like movies that requires kids and adults to follow a storyline and to see the development of characters, or even 30-minute shows rather than 10-minute shows, developing more of that sustained attention when it comes to screens. I have seen what's happened is some of the shows that my kids like. Um, There's a show called Miraculous that my kids really like. I do not like it. I tend to not shut down shows entirely unless it's something really extreme. So I've said you can only watch one episode, have a one episode maximum per day. They're not allowed to watch like two or three episodes in a row. So you can watch one full episode, which is probably like 24 minutes, or you could go onto YouTube and watch five minute clips of Miraculous, where you're just kind of seeing the action parts, the highlights. So try to notice that if your kids are watching short shows and then they're watching them in even shorter form on YouTube, they're getting less of that plot, less of the character development in in the shows that it already doesn't really exist that much anyways. But also the pace of apps, not just the pace of TV, but also the pace of apps too. Some apps move really quickly, lots of lights, lots of change. See if you can find some slower moving ones that your kids enjoy. My office mate, Amy, has a little toy Gumby character, and I've been meaning to ask her about why she has this or if it has any specific meaning to her, but I walk by it every day when I walk into my office, and I think a lot about Gumby, and actually went on YouTube, and I watched some old Gumby episodes, not the whole thing, I just kind of breezed through to see what it was like. Gumby was one of the original cartoons, some of the original television programming for kids, and it was really popular for kids of all ages. And it is so slow. It is so boring. I mean, they quite literally roll this character out of clay and cut him out. It's incredible to see the change in children's television from then until now. And often the really slow-moving stuff we think is really babyish. And then we think that the older kids need the fast-paced action stuff, the stuff that is more adult-like, when maybe kids can stick with the slower-paced stuff. My favorite slow kids app is called Think Roll. My kids really enjoy it, even though it is really slow and very simple. But I do think part of the reason that they really enjoy it is because it's the only game that they have on their iPads. 
So that lack of other options makes it a lot more interesting. If your kids are still of the age like mine are, they're six and eight, they have their own opinions. They kind of understand why we do the things that we do. Loosely, roughly. But as the parents, we're also still steering the ship and deciding what's okay and what's not okay for them to engage in. I realize as kids get older that this gets a lot harder. And you might say, well, what difference does it make if they're just going to get to be teenagers and their tech use is going to go off the rails anyways? You know, when they're young, we're laying the foundation. Their brains are rapidly developing. Introducing them to these analog activities and helping them to clear space and make room to find joy in those activities, that feels important to me. And it may be easier for some kids than other kids. And I do think that part of the reason that I'm prioritizing it now is because I did have those experiences as a kid. And I know how formative they were for me. I think it's part of the discovery process. Now, in so many ways, I have mixed feelings about social media because it is such an amazing way to connect with people, to stay in touch, to learn about people. I have met so many of you and learned about your stories through social media. It is by no means all bad. But it's easy to get lost in it. It's easy to lose time. It's easy to get distracted. So how do we use it more intentionally? Easier said than done, right? What I've done on Instagram, I don't have plans to give up social media altogether, but I do want to find a better balance. I think there is so much potential, so much good that we can find if we use it more intentionally. So I have unfollowed everyone on Instagram, so I don't have a news feed anymore, which is beautiful. So if I open up Instagram, there's nothing for me to see there. But I don't feel disconnected because I can still find people, right? So I was thinking about my friend Christy in Chicago, wondering what she was up to. So I just searched her name and her profile popped up. I clicked over and I saw her updates. And then, you know what I did? I reached out to her directly. And I said, hey, what's going on? How are you guys doing? What are you guys up to? What's new? I initiated conversation instead of just lurking on her profile. Imagine that. And I have found that unfollowing people and really just checking in with them, when I think about them, I've been more inclined to actually check in with them rather than just lurk on them and look at their profile. And I deleted the Facebook app from my phone. So I have the Instagram app, which is pretty much empty now, but I deleted the Facebook app. So if I need something on Facebook, I have to go on on my desktop, which hugely curbs the use. On the weekends, when I'm locking my phone up, I'm using my Apple Watch. Now, keep in mind that this is just what we're doing right now. There's always potential for this to change. It definitely will. So I'm using my Apple Watch, and I can still check my email and text message on there. But it's really hard, so it forces me to prioritize the things that are really important. My husband has a light phone now, which is a phone that basically has nothing but basic texting and calling. And he's using that most of the time, except when traveling or if he needs to go into the city for something. There are times when you do need your phone. You know, if you need an Uber, got to have your phone. 
we were in the city last week and neither of us had our smartphones and we wanted to go to a museum and you had to buy the tickets online. And there was literally no way for us to buy the tickets. We needed a phone. There certainly are things that phones are necessary for. So we're still trying to find the balance there. We have some friends that have what we call the burner phone, which they signed up for an additional phone line on their plan. And I think it's like $10 a month to get an additional phone line. And they have an old like Nokia phone or something like that, that they carry with them on the weekends when they're together as a family. So they are still in touch and people can still message them on that number, which they've given to their close friends and family, but they're disconnected and they only do it from Friday night until Sunday morning. I think it is. They don't do it the whole weekend. So it carves out that space to be screen free together and to do the analog stuff, but it's not entirely limiting. There's also people that use the Freedom app, which just kind of shuts down your phone entirely. So you don't actually physically lock it up, but it has a screen time monitoring element to it that you cannot bypass the way that you can on most. So what does this all mean for Simple Families moving forward? Well, I'm not getting off social media entirely. I'm still gonna be posting podcast updates. Probably showing up less often, for sure, on Instagram, mostly because I feel like the type of engagement on Instagram has been very kind of one-sided. I really enjoy talking one-on-one with you all and meeting you all on Instagram, but I really want Simple Families to be more community-focused, which is really how it started when I started a Facebook group five years ago. So I am launching a brand new, simpler, Simple Families community off of social media. That's going to be later this month. If you go to simplefamilies.com forward slash community, you can get on the wait list for that. I'll be taking my content that I used to put on Instagram and on Facebook into the community. So that'll be a place to join together with others who are interested in the topics that we discuss on the podcast, to go deeper on the podcast topics, to talk live with me, ask questions. We're going to do lots of fun stuff, but there'll be no FOMO, no stories that disappear after 24 hours. We're designing it to be less compulsive and more intentional. So it's easy to join in the conversation, but it's also easy to walk away. That's simplefamilies.com forward slash community. I'm excited about this because it will mean creating a more intentional space to not just talk to you all, but for you all to talk to each other. That does mean that I'm going to be shutting down the Simple Families community on Facebook because frankly, I am just a babysitter there right now. (laughs) I'm constantly dealing with hackers and trolls and We've had a couple incidents where people have started arguing at night when I've already been sleeping and I wake up in the morning to a whole slew of messages of people upset that I didn't shut it down and it's a lot. So I'm looking forward to creating a more peaceful space without the chaos that social media brings sometimes. If that sounds like it's something that might interest you, I encourage you to sign up for the wait list, stay in touch, you can learn more about it. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode and I will talk with you soon.